But I want to tell you about somebody uh, who is a pioneer in his field. He um, is well known. He, he has been on the forefront of his industry for more than 30 years. And some of you don't know who he is. He's world famous. He even has a video game named after him. That is fame there. I want to show you his picture. This is him. Some of you recognize him and you can kind of figure out who he might be based on the scene. But that's Tony Hawk, the famous skateboarder who in the 90s was the very first person to ever do a 900 on a skateboard on a vertical ramp. So think about that. He is flying up the side of a wall, kind of similar to that pool that he's in. And he does two and a half rotations on a skateboard and lands without breaking his neck. It's amazing. Even as a 50-plus-year-old guy, he's still the ambassador uh, for the skateboarding world. And yet, he gets confused and misidentified all the time. People don't recognize him. And he's one of the most famous athletes in the world and a pioneer for his sport. And I want to give you an example of some ways that he is misidentified. If you're on Twitter uh, and you want to follow Tony Hawk, you can because you'll get to read all about these uh, because he tweets about it every time someone doesn't recognize him or misidentifies him. I want to share a few with you today. One time he was at a restaurant and a guy asked him, are you famous? And he said, I, I think it depends on who you ask. I probably would have gotten the same result in here today. Has anyone ever told you that you look like Tom Brady? Never. One time he was uh, heading off to a different uh, location and going to the airport. He steps up to the TSA agent and he says, just to clarify, my given name is Anthony. And so the agent looks at his ID, looks up at him, looks at his ID, looks up at him and loudly for all to hear says, Tony Hawk's my favorite skater. And Tony Hawk says, I'll tell him. <laughs> one time Tony Hawk was at a skate park kind of like that uh, that you saw on the screen and a young kid says are you Tony Hawk and he said I am no you're not yes. uh, okay I'm not and as kids do often but are you for real I am for real I thought you'd look younger <laughs> and Tony Hawk says me too and finally, he was at the grocery store one day and the clerk asked him, do you ever get mistaken for Tony Hawk or are you Tony Hawk? And he says, both. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to be misidentified. Sometimes it's easy not to be recognized, especially these days. <laughs> But as we wrap up this series in 1 John, my prayer for us is that our love and our action would so model that of Jesus that no one would ever second guess our identity in Christ. That no one would second guess 
who or to whom we belong. That our life, our words, our actions, our love would be so obvious to others that they could never deny that we belong to Christ. And so as we read the passage today, we're going to look at 1 John 5, 1 through 5, and I'm going to give you a bonus verse uh, to kind of wrap up the series. And then we're going to look at what it means to have love, obedience, and victory in life. And so if you've got your Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then skip down to verse 13, which may or may not be on the screen. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things. John's purpose in writing this book, I told you there were three or four purposes. This is his final purpose, is that you and I would know that we have eternal life because of the words that he's written, because the things that we see and hear when it comes to love and faith and obedience and the victory that we have through Christ. And so as we read uh, verses one through five, John writes them in such a way to help us remember what he says. And he does so in kind of a rhythmic pattern. Uh, it's an ABC, CBA pattern. So he says something, and then he says another thing, and a third thing. And then he repeats those things in reverse order. So, for example, the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's kind of what he starts with. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. What are they? They are born of God. That's his second idea. For those that believe in Jesus Christ, too, we are born of God. And if those things are true, then a third thing is true, that we love those born of God. We love other believers. And then he repeats those same three ideas, but in reverse order. We love those who are children of God. And because of that, we know that when we are that, we're born of God and anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God practices those things. So he says them one way, and then he reverses his order. Anytime you and I see something in Scripture that's said multiple times or in multiple ways, you need to pay attention to that because it's important. And so these ideas, the idea that we believe in Jesus Christ, the idea that we love other people who also believe in Jesus Christ... And the fact that we obey, which is going to come later, are important ideas, things that you and I need to pay attention to. And as we think about how we love each other, we need to be reminded that our love for others is the test of our faith. Uh, our love for others 
in the family of faith is the test of our faith. Love as evidenced by our belief is a constant theme in John. Our love as evidenced by our faith or as evidence of our faith, right? Both ways is a constant theme throughout John. I I know if you've been here over the last few weeks, it's the same song, fifth verse, because that's what we're talking about all the time. That's what John talks about all the time is love as an outpouring of our faith, love as evidence of our faith. Love is sort of the pass and fail test of our faith. And, and the reason why John talks about it so much is because we need so much help with it. If we didn't need any help with it, John wouldn't talk about it. Other parts of the scripture wouldn't speak to our love for others. But we need to constantly be reminded of our need to love others. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, do I love the children of God? Do I love other people who follow Christ? John's very clear That if you love God, if you claim to love God, then you are a son or a daughter of God. And you love fellow believers. Those ideas are inseparable. It's not simply that I can love God and tolerate believers. It's not that I can love God and not pay attention to other believers. It's not that I can love God and just be indifferent towards others. No, I I love God and I love others who love God. That means that I sacrifice. I give grace. I give mercy. I go out of my way to help them, to encourage them, to give them hope. I do all those things. And the reason why John is so adamant about this in his book is because the church in that day in Turkey, in Ephesus, was filled with people who were trying to create disunity in the church. He calls them antichrist, little a, antichrists, who were doing the work of the capital A, antichrist. They were creating division. These were false teachers who were coming in and spreading hate and dissension. They they were talking about others in the church. They were trying to sway opinion. So it's no, the, the character of a follower of Christ is that we love those who claim Jesus. True faith always leads to a love for God. That's pretty natural. Like we get that. True faith leads to a love of God. But it also leads to a love for others and ultimately results in obedience. I love God, I love others, and I obey. Because if love is the test of our faith, obedience is the test of our love for God. If the love for others is the test of our faith and our obedience is our test of our love for God. If I love God, then I'm going to do what he asks of me. We obey our father's commands. We are called children, sons and daughters of the king. 
And of course, obeying his commands means to love him and to love other people, right? It's all mixed in. There's this great cycle of understanding here that all of those things are interconnected and intertwined and they reinforce one another, right? The more I love God and the more I surrender to him, the more I'm going to love and appreciate you. And the more I love and appreciate you, the more I'm going to understand God's love for me and I'm going to love him back. Those ideas just reinforce one another. John Stott, a well-known English preacher and commentator, said it this way, our love for God is not so much an emotional experience as it is a moral commitment. And I would exchange that word moral in our context to it is a commitment of the will. Loving Jesus is, does have emotional components when we hear a beautiful song and, and we're in the middle of worship and something inside of us, the spirit of God moves, there should be an emotional part of that. There is an emotion. We get goosebumps or we want to say amen or we want to clap or we want to celebrate. We hear somebody give a testimony about God's faithfulness and his goodness to them, how he rescued them from sin or how he delivered them from an illness. We celebrate that. And we love that. And there is emotion engaged in that. When we hear a preacher occasionally, once a year maybe, uh, say something. Thank you, guys over there. Say something that really strikes me. Then yes, there's an emotional response. But the truth is, our faith, our obedience is a matter of the will. That I'm going to turn my will. Not of my own strength because I can't do it. That by the power of God, my will is turned to the will of God. And that happens through obedience. Through obedience. Our love for God is a matter of our commitment to live our life in a way that is honoring to him. John, in his gospel, the book of John, Quotes Jesus, right? When he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Those are Jesus' words. And his commands are not this heavy list of do's and don'ts, right? Most people outside the faith, and even some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we think God just has a big list for us. As long as we can check off the list, then we're going to be okay. But that's not what God is about, God isn't about a list of things that you should do or not do. No, his commands actually reveal his heart to us. The commands of God reveal to us his heart and his desire for us to live a life of victory, to live a life of holiness and righteousness, live a life identified with his son Jesus so that no one could mistake us. Their desire to direct us to become more like his son. And Jesus himself offers a yoke that's easy and light. As he says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Anyone weary or burdened these days? And I will give you rest. Take upon my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Our obedience is that yoke of Jesus, but it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. I'm not a farmer. I grew up in suburbia and have lived in big city my whole life. But I do know that whenever you have farm animals that you're trying to get some task accomplished, plow a field or whatever, and you put a yoke on them, you just don't throw some boards on top and latch some rope to it and make it happen. No, because that yoke will rub them. It, It will scar them. It will create sores and you won't get work out of them. No, the yoke that's done properly is crafted to that animal so that it's shaped around their shoulders and their neck so it doesn't rub the wrong way so that whenever that animal is attached to another animal, they can work in tandem at multiple times what they could do on their own. The yoke is designed perfectly for them. And Jesus designs the yoke of obedience on us perfectly so it's not burdensome, so it's not heavy. No, so it allows us to accomplish all that God has for us in a great and mighty way. Obedience is the test of our love for God. And what's the result of our faith and our obedience? The result is victory. Victory is the result of our faith. Our obedience comes from a place of power over sin and death. The problem that most of us have, including myself, is that we don't live in victory. We live in mediocrity. We live in just getting by. That's what we live in. We live in, oh, most sins I can overcome, but some of these are just too tough and I don't really care. I'm just going to do it. That's how we live. And yet God says we live in a place of victory. We live in a place of power. We have power over sin and death because we are born of God. He says that phrase eight times in this book. We are born of God. And if you are born of God, you have a second birth, right? Your mom gave you a birth and then Jesus gives you a new birth. If you're born of God, then you have power over sin and death. You have victory because of your faith in Jesus. And if you don't believe me, Look at this passage, verse four, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's present tense for all of us big fans of English, present tense. It's not past tense, you did overcome. It's not future tense, you will overcome. Present tense, overcomes the world right now, 2020, Thanksgiving weekend, you have overcome the world through Jesus Christ. You have power. One translation says it this way. Everyone born of God conquers the world. Everyone born of God conquers the world. And you know how, why they use that word conquer? Because it comes from a very specific Greek word. All of you know the Greek word. All of you know it. Anybody want to take a guess at what it is? Hmm. Nike. You know it. The tennis shoes. Phil Knight. University of Oregon that changes their jerseys every week. Nike. That's the Greek word for conquer, for victory. And so the next time you go to Dick's Sporting Goods or Academy and you look at all the shoes or you lace up your own Nikes, you remember that I have victory because of Jesus. I have victory over sin and death. I have victory because of my faith and I need to live in that victory. 
I'm a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. And so may we, as we move into this Christmas season, may we live as people who love our Heavenly Father. And we be people who love one another. May we be people who stand in victory because of our faith. That's my prayer for all of us. Will you bow with me?